this morning, church, we are going to conclude our series together in the non-negotiables, where we've been covering some church history from the Reformation, where we've looked at the five solas that the Reformers drew renewed focus and importance to. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and this morning we're going to look at soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. And John Calvin was a French theologian that spent many years as a pastor during the 16th century in Geneva, Switzerland, pastoring there, drawing emphasis and importance to the glory of God. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, there's many things that the reformers during the 16th and the 17th century drew attention to, things that needed to change in culture, things that needed to change in the church in their time. Some of those things were indulgences or transubstantiation or prayers to saints rather than to God alone or deifying Mary. And most importantly, church leaders at the time claiming the same authority as scripture or unclear teaching about how man or woman can be made right with God. But of all those list of things and many more that the reformers sought to change in their churches and in the culture at the time, for John Calvin, the biggest issue of all of it was the glory of God. All of those things were secondary issues. The main issue that he focused on was the need to draw renewed emphasis on the holiness of God and the glory of God. In his eyes, and still today, the greatest problem that could develop in Christian teaching and Christian living is if we live contrary to the true nature and name of God and the true desires of God. If we teach that man is saved by works, not by trusting and accepting the grace of God, we rob God of the glory that is due his name. For it was Christ alone who died for our sins according to God's riches of grace and mercy. If we pray to saints, we deny the true power that comes from God alone. If we deify Mary, again, we diminish the name and the deity of Christ. So for Calvin, one of those reformers, the primary issue of all of those issues was the glory of God. That his name would not be falsely represented by the church, by Christians out into the world. So now walking forward to the 21st century, to us today, why is the glory of God so important? Was Calvin right? I propose to you this morning that all of us, who all of us being made in the image of God, we are all looking for significance and success in life. We all love to see success or we love to envy it. Yesterday there was some news or fake news, I'm not so sure, about Tom Brady. And most of us either love Tom Brady or we hate Tom Brady. But one way or the other, you cannot deny his achievements in the NFL and it, we stand back and we say, that was one heck of a career, whether it's over or not, to be determined. <laughs> I find myself sometimes watching Netflix and uh, watching these shows, which maybe I shouldn't be watching, but these shows about criminals. And 
Yeah, you're laughing because you, you do too, right? And I, I'm watching these shows, and as I watch these shows, I can't help but start cheering for them. Like, I don't want them to get caught. I'm like, oh, but they were doing so well. <laughs> and, and I find myself just getting sad that everything fell apart. I think common sense tells us at some point this is not going to end well. But secretly, I'm hoping, even if it's based on real-life characters, that like something happens and like, no, they make it out okay. Why is that? Because all of us want to see people succeed. We want to see them do well, even the craziness of like, wait a second, I think they were doing the wrong thing there, right? We, as people, define our worth according to so many things. According to success, popularity, a relationship with a significant other, our health, our wealth, etc., etc., etc. And when these things are taken away from us or they're threatened, so is our stability or our happiness. I also propose this morning that God and every single one of us has an adversary, Satan, who is very, very real, by the way. And let me let you in on a little not-so-secret of his. His goal for all of us is to disproportionately elevate, elevate the significance in our life of people, of popularity, of pleasures, of money, of victories, of successes, of our health, of our comfort, and so on and so on, so much so that in this world we would diminish the name of God. Because if we focus too much on and give glory too much to things other than God, we will end up breaking the first three commandments that God gave his people in Exodus, showing them how to follow him, how to live rightly with them. And we will make other things in our lives more important than God, and we will misuse his name. The same is true for us, the church today, as the church of the reformers in the 16th and 17th century, that life is a struggle. Oftentimes we think that if we do what's right, if we invite Christ into our life and we come to church, that we're not gonna have any problems anymore. No, no unfortunate health is gonna be stowed upon us. No more struggles with addictions, no more struggle with anger, no more struggle in our relationships. And yet, we could get up here and unfortunately, we could begin to share a lot of testimonies that that's completely untrue. What is very, very true is that life is a struggle. Life is a fight day in and day out. And so the call, the life of a Christian is to struggle well, is to struggle well through the empowerment of God and the Holy Spirit. And so my hope for this morning is that I want to help us have a primer or a reintroduction into what is the glory of God and why it is so important for our lives so that we can struggle well. With that being said, I want to invite you to pray with me before we open God's word. Would you pray with me, church? Father, we thank you again that you have not left us without a guide. That this morning we come and we open the very words of our creator, of our God, of our maker, 
the one who has made all things right and is making all things new. And we get to open up your word to understand what is true and what is right and how we should live our lives. So I pray this morning that not my words, but that your word would go out into our hearts and into our minds and that you would renew in us a passion for your name, for your glory. And in all the ways that we've drifted and we're prone to drift, I pray that you would touch our hearts today and help us to realign ourselves to live in every corner of our life to bring your name glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to spend a lot of time this morning, church, just going scripture by scripture, not really going in depth because we're looking as a whole at the glory of God. And we're just going to try to get from a lot of scriptures a really big picture of what is the glory of God and why is it so important. And so I invite you to follow along in these scriptures with me. Uh, I'm probably going to be going through a lot, so you, you, you might be rushed to turn to them if you want to write notes down and you can reference them later. But we're going to take some time uh, as best we can in a, in a little bit of time to just look at what is the glory of God. So first of all, what is God's glory? Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. One theme that is throughout the Bible in many places, including Psalm 19.1, is that creation itself draws emphasis to the creator. This world draws emphasis to that there is actually someone, a God in heaven above, that has made everything. You go out into the ocean and, 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 if, and if we're not thinking of God, we could just think, oh, that's just some water. But you stand and look at the might of the oceans, or you look at the the depth and the vastness of the mountains and everything in this planet, the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, the moon, the seasons, all of it brings glory and attention that God made this world that we live in. God made us. God made the intricacies of how we function as people, every aspect of who we are. And so even just our existence is meant to bring glory to God because we are his handiwork. He is the one that has made us. Psalms 29 verse 2 says that our response to God for his creation should be this. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We should give glory where glory is due. And in all things we should give glory to God. In Exodus chapters 32 through 34 is this section right in the middle of the book of Exodus where God was freeing his people from slavery to bring glory to his name. And as Moses goes up the mountain to get the instructions from God to guide the people, the Ten Commandments, they get impatient and they begin to worship an idol. And then God gives these commands after all this has happened and he says to them in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 9, the Lord passed before him Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. He paused there for a second. God is giving a representation to the people of his character. What is so important for us to catch in the glory of God is his name. His name is to be treated with honor and respect in all things. Why? Because his name represents his character, who he is. And as you read the Bible, there is no one like him. No one like this character that desires and has steadfast love and it has made a means of salvation for all of us. But we also read here, certainly will carry out justice. He doesn't look the other way. We have a choice, either turn to the only one that can save us or suffer the consequences of our rebellion. And Moses bowed and worshiped this great God who is so holy and perfect, but also offers mercy and grace. Verse 9, and he said, Moses said in response to him, If I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Ephesians tells us that when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home in us, And that we are God's inheritance. Even connecting back to this story in the Old Testament where Moses was asking God, please make this people your people, your inheritance. Don't leave us because if your presence doesn't go with us, we can't go anywhere. We will not end up in a great place because we're rebellious. We're a stiff-necked people. And so the importance of God's glory, the importance of God's name is that it's not a name like mine. I fail And I sin, just like you fail and you sin, but God loves perfectly. People want to diminish hope in this world because we look at all the problems that we have in our society and our politics and our nations, but there's one that's above all of it that is holy and isn't pleased with those things that are wrong, but offers a way out, and that is God. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God does not want to share his glory with anyone or anything. Why? Because he is the only God. There are, again, there is none like him. And so if we diminish his name, we do it to our own peril. One of the greatest ways that we understand the glory of God and the greatest way that God has helped us to see Who he is, is by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at God's glory in Christ now this morning. And read several verses that explain how we understand the glory of God through the person of Christ. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Christ, as a person, the four gospels and everything we know about him, He represents the character of God to us. As he lived is who God is. He represents Christ to, he represents the Father, God, to us. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, and he is the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe 
by the word of his power. Again, Christ represents the character of God to us. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And so we want to know what God is like. One of the ways we can know what it's like is by reading the Gospels and seeing how Christ is. Because Christ perfectly represented him. John chapter 8 and verses 50 and 54 say this. Again, Christ says, Yet I do not seek my own glory, but there is one, the Father, who seeks it. And he is the judge. And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. And so we, need, we want to know how to live. How do we bring glory to God? Well, how did Christ do it? Christ said, I didn't seek my own glory. I came into this earth simply to bring glory to my Father. And everything that I do, I want to bring glory to my Father. John 12, verses 27 and 28. Christ said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He was about to go to the cross for my sin, for your sin. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The glory of God, the glory of the Father cost Christ his very life. He was willing to give his physical life up primarily. Yes, because he loved us and he wanted us to be reconciled to the Father. But why? Because it was God's will. It was in God's nature. It was God's hope that people would not perish and be separated. And he said, God, I trust in your plan and I give my life as you ask me to, Father. And so it cost him his very life. You see, God doesn't fit into our plan, church. We, in all things, need to fit into his plan, like Jesus Christ. If we're trying to go one way and we're asking God to come into it, it won't go anywhere. We need to first find out where God is going, what God is doing, what God desires, just like Christ did, and then align ourselves with God that way. That is our struggle. That is our battle to understand, God, what is your will? What is your way for me as a person? And that was how Christ lived. John 17, 4, Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. See, in all the ways that Christ lived, his aim, again, was that his life, his actions, his day in and his day out life would bring glory to God. And at the end of his life, he said this priestly prayer, praying over the apostles, praying over the church. And he said, Father, that's what I've done with my life. I've sought to brought you glory. And of course, being his son, he perfectly brought the Father glory. But yet we can do the same. Not perfectly, but through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the intention for our life is that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus and seek in all things to bring glory to God. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, church, one day everyone will acknowledge the glory of God. Everyone will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone will bow to the Father, whether we do now or we do later. And God's hope is that we would begin not rebelling from him, but turning to him and bringing him glory in all things now. Which brings me to explain why is this such an important topic? What is our problem? What is our offense to God's glory? The scriptures tell us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's hard for me to preach. It could be hard for me to preach because I know there's no good in me, church. How, how can I get up here and share anything good for you? Because there's nothing good in me because what we know to be true, and what the Bible reminds us of and tells us is that all have fallen short of God's glory, of his perfect name. That's where we stand in offense to God's name. And you see, God is not auxiliary to our need for salvation. God came down and sent Jesus Christ that anyone that believes in him will be saved. But his intention is not just that, you know, for us, oh, I need a savior, so let me go to him and so God can meet my need. No, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. We need God. We are broken. We are hopeless. And God is perfect and holy and offended by my sin, offended by your sin. But he loves us so much that he said, I don't want you to stay there. And I've made a way. If you will turn to me, if you will seek to bring glory to my name and accept the glorious thing that I've done for you, I can make your life new so that we have hope. Romans 14, verse 11, 12 says, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will confess. And each of us will give an account to God. See, our lives, church, they're a response to God. Again, we will all come before God one day, and we, we can stand rightly before him if we accept what he's done for us. But it's not meant to just be, oh, I'm a Christian, I've accepted God, I'm going to heaven no, in all things, we're meant to love him in every way in our life. It is meant to cost us something to follow God. It cost Jesus his very life. God's glory cost him the precious blood of his son. It cost Moses friends. It cost Abraham his home. It cost Joseph his freedom. It cost David years of fighting. It cost Job his family. It cost Jonah his prejudices. It cost Mary her reputation. It cost Peter his livelihood. It cost the apostles their safety. It cost so many Christians throughout history their lives. So the question, church, for me this morning, for you is, what has God's glory cost me? 
what am I willing to give up or what am I currently giving up that all might know the immense value of his name? And I hate to ask that question. I don't like that question for myself or for you, but it's reality. You live in a broken world and you are just as selfish and prone to wander from God as I am. And the only way we can rightly experience God is to accept what he's done from us and then to begin to walk away from the things that we selfishly desire and to lay our lives before God and open this book and say, God, what is your best? What is your best for my life? What do you desire? And the only thing that's gonna promise us is it's going to cost us something because somehow we've been lied to by the evil one. But the beauty, if, if you go back through all those names that I read through the scriptures, is what every single one of those men and women received in turn for what they gave up was so much more. So again, church, what do we need to give up this morning? What are we holding on to? that we need to find more significance in God than we are finding apart from Him. Lastly, because our lives are meant to bring God glory. Romans 8, 29 says, For those who He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Our lives are meant to look like Christ, to be a testimony of Christ into the world. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16 say to us, you are a light to the world, a city set on a hill that cannot and should not be hidden. Nor do people put a light and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or whether you drink, and whatever you do, give glory to God. Here's a few last challenges or explanations that I wanna leave us with this morning, church. You know, many times we, maybe with the right intentions, but we, we falsely misuse the name of God by making it God versus something in the world. We say, you know, uh, for example, you know, education isn't the answer, God is the answer. Politics aren't the answer, Go government's not the answer, you know, that, that's gonna go the way of the world, God is the answer. And why? Because we do see the brokenness in all these things. But for John Calvin, and, and I want to argue for us today in all things, in our understanding of God, our doctrine, in our marriages, in our families, in our society, in our church, in our education, in our governance, and how we participate in politics, in all of these things, the foundation for us should be God. And then we ask the question, how do I glorify God? How do I glorify God with my vote? How do I glorify God with my mind and my education? How do I glorify God as a father, as a husband, as a mother? How do I glorify God in this church? How do I glorify God in my work? How do I, it's not God versus, it's God in all of these things because they are all secondary expressions of the glory of God. And so God, we have, church, we have a great opportunity in all of these things to learn and to go out and rightly represent God in all ways. 
So church, again this morning, where do you need a renewed focus on bringing glory to God in your life? Is God getting glory from your life today? Because the name of God matters for all. And when we rightly represent his name, we have the right place of peace. We have the right place of confidence. We know where we stand. We're standing with God. And we're testifying to the world around us the difference, the treasure that we have in God. And so let us go out this morning with holiness, with obedience, with fighting sin through the power that only comes from standing in the gospel, standing in Christ, seeking to bring glory to God in all things. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your great name. God, I pray you would touch my heart. I pray you would touch our hearts. Anywhere that we're seeking significance or glory apart from you. God, wash that away from us and give us the peace and the joy that comes from working and living in all ways to rightly represent your name in this world. And God, like only you can, bring hope and power and salvation to us and to our community through the glory and the power of your name. We pray all these things in your name and everyone in grace says, amen and amen. Thank you, church.